Long may he reign. 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 Season eight. That will improve. Is over. Sure Game of Thrones is over. How do you rate and rank right now on the spot every season? Worst to best. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or you could just tell me where season eight falls into that ranking in general. Because that's a tough question. Hmm. Are there any parameters or are you just saying overall worst to best? Like the way I, like, do I think the this is the best that everyone will feel or do I No, have it's like, your own. It's like if you had to, if you could only rewatch that season forever, what one would you pick? Oh man, that is tough. There's different reasons for different things. There's just something about different season reasons one. for the season. Different reasons for the season, everyone. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to some of this. There's there's something about putting on season one that is so true and so calm. And Sean Bean's there. And so is Tyrion's wig from the pilot episode. Well, then what would you say? Where dire would you wolves. put? There's so much direwolves in the tier. Like, would you put eight least favorite, most favorite? Middle you of the road. Lose patience for me compiling the list. You're like, there's yeah. no way that he can keep the <laughs> yeah, best like, at the top of the episode. Bad idea. This give you 45 reverse podcast. Minutes. Reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to get any answers out of those explanations either. Uh, let me I'm try. Sorry. <laughs> you guys might relate to that. Season one is is um, it's dependable. It's there. I skipped directly in my mind, unfortunately, to season four, and I don't think that two and three. Are you know we just did that for rewatch the throne on Stitcher. We mm-hmm. I feel it feels like yesterday going through some of those seasons and for good reason they're exciting and that was the foundation of all this and George was still heavily involved with the show and I think that it they they were able to put forward a lot of those elements that were asking for our attention before we started going into this territory of let me really show you what's going on this is a crazy polar bear right and yes the answer to that question is right. The polar bear is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to come for lost in the middle of your Game of Thrones ranking? No, that was uh, a dig at season seven. Remember? Uh, yeah, I do remember Although, that. Yeah, that's a, a weird universal crossover I never considered before with the uh, the showrunners and their affinity for the series Polar lost. bears that mean nothing? Yeah, that might yeah. be something. That might be a tiny little Easter egg. It's where my brain goes. Sorry. Did you ever see, sorry, everyone, quick sidetrack. Did you ever see the After the Universe Lost video that was given where um, I think it was Hurley and I forget who else. They were in some kind of warehouse or something. And someone was looking at a videotape or something. And it was was another Dharma video about uh, like finally explaining the polar bears. Yeah, it's been, I can't remember any details about it. But. Do you think that we'll get anything like that post Thrones outside of the actual books that George is writing or outside of any sort of companion books that people are able to monetize? Like, do you think we'll see any featurettes that maybe are some kind of connective tissue between HBO's efforts with Game of Thrones now that it's over and then them trying to maybe set up the prequel series? I think that we'll get things like we saw with the documentary. I think we'll get stuff like that that will give us insight into how things were done and why things were done that way. And that'll bring answers to light, like Arya killing the Night King. I think that there are some answers given there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that there's going to be any vignette type of stuff. I feel like they made it pretty clear that. But, you know, 
what series isn't extremely clear that it's all over and then they come out with little teasers here and there but i think hmm. we've seen it but you didn't answer my question about game of thrones which one where does it rank season one that's why i derailed us <laughs> season one and then i go to season four and i think about I loved that first episode, Two Swords. I loved this new era of Arya and the Hound. It seemed like we were entering. I loved the uh, the flexibility of and the depth of where the relationship between Tyrion, Podrick, and Bronn were headed there at uh, the opening of King's Landing. We were seeing the uh, the banners enter, the uh, the Dornish banners that were being read off as over in Martell was entering the city and it was just like a, a one of those moments in the TV show where it, it it won a lot of hope for us who are big fans of the book series because it's uh not only a moment out of the books which is I mean obviously the TV show is full of that but it's one where I think the stuff that was happening in our real world the people who came together and the way that it came together and the way that it was chosen to be portrayed just wor- worked in a way that sang of all of this beauty and hope and, and showed these uh, different houses entering Westeros. And then the guy who follows that up is Prince Oberyn Martell. Mm-hmm. And then he was Oberyn Martell for that whole season. And that just sets you up for basically trusting the pilot of the ship to bring in cool people in the series later like in McShane and just knocking out of the park and for the most part that's been the deal although I know that one that is sores to your heart would be that Dario Naharis replacement uh, yeah that was rough on me <sighs> it's like we we handed <laughs> off H&M Bra- uh, Bravo Dario for like uh, like a Topshop Dario like slightly more name brand Dario but still, still I was the same so vibe. in love with OG Dario he was too hot though for Dario to be honest with you I think so many people would think that actually you know what I'm wrong I don't know what people think are hot I'm the gonna thing stop that's there. good about Dario is that he thinks he's hotter than he really is and that's what in Dario's swagger needs to eclipse how hot he actually is in mm. order for him to be Dario right. in my humble opinion right so we're finally getting to the essence of what made that all work now in this season eight owns of the season episode <laughs> after all this time <laughs> Game of Thrones has been over for two weeks. Not a sign, not a shred of Dario Naharis, nor his once been blue hair. He didn't arrive from Essos. He didn't save Daenerys. Should we go back to it, rehashing those old details now? Or do we have the whole offseason ahead of us? We have so much time. We have so much time to go back, which I'm kind of excited about to think about the series in the context of season eight, but you still haven't answered my question. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> what did five, you think of season eight? A lot eight? of you really don't... cool stuff happened. Remember when Tyrion was like, Wait, we have a whole retrospective episode that's coming. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Just real quick. <laughs> I just want you to tell five. me what you think about season eight. All right. <laughs> this was, it's hard for me to rank in order though, or to put them in order because for so many I reasons, I like, it's an, that's an unfair question. I'm not going to put it above any of my previous above ones. Is that a good enough answer right now while I figure out my feelings? Yeah, no, that's a great answer. What about you? Um, It's not my least favorite. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to answer the question I asked you because it's impossible for me to answer. Mm. But season eight was not my least favorite season. I enjoyed season eight much more than I enjoyed season seven as a whole. So I would probably put season eight near the bottom. For obvious reasons, but I wouldn't put it at the very bottom. That's my 
final answer. Okay. That's almost the same answer that I gave, but not quite. I wouldn't put it near the the very bottom either, but also how do you even say that? It's 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 hard to balance moments and the weight of potential moments and just the conversation that we can have around those moments versus the stuff that we have nostalgic feelings for. Like we haven't really right. gathered any of those nostalgic feelings for even the events in season seven yet. That's so true. Although I kind of feel that way about things like the Dragonstone arrival. And if, when you look back and really understand what they were trying to do there, there's some really beautiful stuff. And the same could be said for a lot of other sequences. But I think with some more time, obviously, I bet we'll think about that scene with Varys and how he was executed as one of the the cleanest you know, 45 seconds that the series has ever made as far as representing their true nature and what they're trying to say with the show. That was pretty badass. Yeah, that's definitely in one of my top, as I think back, and as we, throughout this episode, kind of go through moments. But I think you're so right, though, in the sense of that there's no nostalgia factor for season eight, and I don't know if there ever will be a nostalgia factor for season eight. And maybe there will be, but I think that it's controversial enough for people to walk away from it and maybe not feel awesome about it, you know? No, definitely. I think a lot of people feel twisted about Bran becoming king, particularly, and they go back to his powers. And I've just seen like opinions by basically everyone that lists off these sort of intricate plot details that didn't seem like they were important before, or maybe only seemed important in podcast land. Things about Bran's green site and like certain implications of it versus how it was going to be like used as a weapon or something in the show. And then they kind of said like, Oh, it's a connection with the night King and he's crossing the wall like that. And it's because he touched you and et cetera. And I think that maybe there's a, there's some thought there where it was like, everyone watches Marvel movies or, you know, just events that are two hours long in general and they buy what happens and they move past it and that's fine. They're probably going to be okay for the most part at scale with how we handle these details, right? That we don't get too crazy with it and that it's not too, you know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. they're probably going to be okay with it. They're probably definitely not going to make a petition that over 500,000 people are going to digitally sign on the internet. Right. It's wild. And we've experienced blowback before. So can we just move on with this thing? Can we make this thing? Can we put all this together? Let me ask you then, thinking about season eight and just everything that we've been discussing for the last two months, how did watching the documentary, what was it called? The final watch, the last watch, the something watch? I think it was the last watch. Did watching that give you any insight into, and this is kind of a very pointed question, but did watching that give you any insight into why they made the decisions that they made? Because for me, I felt like I gained a lot of clarity about what they were trying to accomplish based off of A, what they showed us in the documentary and B, Mm. what the focus seemed to be on. And I don't know if, if you maybe felt the same way. I think that the documentary had a lot of self-awareness and exposed a lot of layers of production in general and just the the sort of world around it. And I don't think that it should affect much about the storytelling precisely, like the actual content within the pages itself. Well, I just was curious if it changed the way, because I watched that documentary and I 
was like, ah, that's why, like, look at the scale of this thing and, and look at the scale that we already understood and knew. But to see it on that minute level, it's like, ah, that's why the script felt this way because like you're talking about a Marvel movie because they're so focused on for good reason the theatricality of it all and how grand it is and how big it is without thinking about from what they showed us we're not in the room we don't know a lot of those things that to me would be the most interesting like costuming and that guy who was an extra love that guy but that's not what I'm necessarily interested in I would have much rather seen table reads more of that and kind of understanding a lot of the storyline. And so to me, that's like, ah, that's where some of the discrepancy is. It's like, am I watch- are we watching because we care about the dialogue and the story and the nuance there? Or are we watching because we want these big blockbuster moments? And I think that, that it fell more towards the blockbuster moments this season. And... I, to me, that was clearer into as to why those decisions were made after watching that documentary, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But yeah, no, I agree. I love the the documentary, and um, I think that what you said makes a lot of sense. I think that a lot of things fall prey to that at scale whenever a lot of attention is turned toward it. And I don't know if it's because of some outside pressure by some unseen force, like some shadow that we all don't really understand. It's like the same thing that happened when they split Deathly Hallows into two films. You're like, why are you doing this? But then it actually Mm -hmm. turned out to be a good thing. It's sort of like the, the opposite effect is happening here. And one of the, I can't remember who it was. I wish I'd written down, but somebody on the production team, there was a clip where she was talking about how this has to be the last season of Game of Thrones because they couldn't do it any bigger. The budget couldn't get bigger. Yeah. The whole ordeal couldn't get bigger. It's like it, it outgrew itself almost. And to hear them talk about it that way from the inside. Yeah, that was, was really the interesting. Executive producer Bernadette Caulfield has been working on the series throughout the experience uh, yeah. of it. So you can imagine where they would all be, especially the people who've been on the inside of it when it was those first shots with Daenerys and she was on her horse with Illyrio Mopatis. And there wasn't, like Amelia was saying in the documentary, there wasn't any thermals back then that we could slide into. Like the yeah. technology existed, but literally at that point, it was probably limited by by not only money, but just the the. The, the actual team itself that was working in Belfast might not have had the, I mean, just not might not have just didn't have the people at the time that would be full of particular kinds of badasses that would foresee all of these potential problems and fix it. And I think that that's something you see from the documentary. You see Game of Thrones at its height and at its height of ability. And I think what you were saying was because we had the ability to do that, let's go ahead and do that. And I think that a lot of the documentary shows a lot of that struggle, a lot of that, that real time, a lot of that granular level, literally location manager herself moving large plastic rubber sheets to level out the concrete or to level out the gravel. And if you guys have ever moved extension cords around dewy uh, grass in the morning or at night when things are gross and you can barely see anything and people are tripping over stuff. I mean, this is raw work and it's being done on a repetitive basis. And imagine getting a script that says the long night's going to be shot for a million weeks in the middle of the night. It's like, Oh my God, for what, (laughs) for what? And, and like she said, and like you said, 
this is it. This is it. This is as large as Game of Thrones could have gotten. This is as big as it could have gotten. And I think that we all agree watching it that things are really exciting. And no one would argue that as far as the spectacle is concerned, no one has been able to get close or match what they're doing. But I, f- I found myself thinking in those moments, and I've, I've been talking about it over the course of the series and with you, or of this past season and with you and our conversations, and just watching it myself, wondering why that has to be the point. I know there's so many people that are working on the series that love what they're doing and that, that care so much about it. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. why, why make the problem for ourselves? Like why give ourselves the hardest problem that we can do physically? So that, so doing the problem itself becomes the talent rather than talent yeah. in is creating something that is such a powerful thing in itself that, it's it was hard to to get to that and to make that up and to show everyone that and then bring all of the other things like the the impossible schedules and the artistic expression around the things that are going to be limited by not only money by the ability for people to get in certain places i think that we had a lot of things revealed to us like example the king's landing exterior that was confusing us toward the end of the season when danny and masande are staring mm-hmm. at each other and Cersei's like, I'm going to chop your head off, Masande. We were like, why are we not in Dubrovnik shooting at some location that is King's Landing that we recognize that's going to make us feel like we're there, that is potentially, you know, going to call back to a location that maybe Cersei stood in before or that these people have had exchanges in. It's going to make us feel... Right. I bet it cost a lot of money. I bet someone got paid a lot of money to build all that shit. <laughs> I bet someone like that knew them, that like lived and worked there, got paid a lot of money to build that whole city for some reason. Oh yeah. We didn't I don't really get why we still weren't there, but it probably would have been a real pain in the ass to move all the actors to a foreign location when they're already gonna be here mainly for the interior shot in King's Landing. Why not just move it here? Yeah, I get that. I don't know. Why not write ourselves out of a shooting problem like The Long Night? It seems like at the very beginning of it, everyone was already tired of starting it. I don't know if that affected much of the process. Or if that was just the the flavor of the documentary. With these things, it's hard to know. We don't know what actually happened. We're just watching a documentary that was put together after the fact. And isn't that how you felt while watching it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100 <laughs> percent that's what I'm that's what I'm saying trying to pull that pointed question earlier it's like so much of season eight made sense seeing it from this angle and just the fact that this is what they decided to show us because they could have showed us so much of this of the behind the scenes obviously mm-hmm. look how much goes into it I mean look at my new fave guy the Del Reed the head of snow oh, I would yeah. die for him oh my gosh there's so much when he was he showed up in king's landing (laughs) later and the first thing i was wondering was like uh oh yeah and he was like you know Mm -hmm. uh, king's landing does they still have snow and he was like (laughs) you know in season seven there was a shred of snow that fell on on jamie lannister's coat and i was like i bet you're the one to point that out to them you're like you know continuity wise we're gonna have to get some snow on the ground there everyone kept asking why he was there yeah it was in that clip the guy was like hey where are you here we're down in south and he's like yeah they still need me man that was so so cool oh my gosh i love that guy and he's so cheap 
He's always he's like yelling at his team not to waste stuff. Oh right. Or only give him one towel because he doesn't want to waste all of them. I love that guy so much. He's the star of the show. I don't know. Andy McClay. I wish I knew his about whole him story arc with getting close to the series and living being a local in Belfast and being such a serious fan of Game of Thrones and then later having those moments with Kit Harrington was just it gave that me was so really much cool. So much hope and humanity. It was so beautiful. It was really cool. It was and so I mean to like draw pull back a little bit again. It was interesting that those are the things that they decided to show us. And I'm interested that you're so interested in that. It seems like you're you're curious about what I'm HBO's reading too angle much into it. Was with this. I'm reading too much into it. But I just feel like there's ten billion things that happened. Although I'm grateful that we got my boy Dell. I wanna I wanna look at Varys getting upset, what, Conleth Hill being so angry that he died and, like, throwing his yeah <laughs> his script. I want to get into that kind of stuff. Like, right. I the makeup is cool, and the snack people are cool, and I love getting that this is what the day-to-day looks like. And I saw so much of what I do at work there, we even though I have it. a completely different job. It was just so cool to kind of be like, this is what it was like if you worked on Game of Thrones every day. But I just thought it was... Interesting just to see everybody stressed out 24-7. Yeah, I know. And you're like, you're hoping. It was like the uh, the the vignette they had on David Nutter, what the director of uh, episodes one, two, and four was saying. He was like, I like to, to anticipate the journey and make the journey as much of an enjoyable experience as well. And I was thinking like, hmm, <laughs> that's so funny seeing that directly juxtaposed against Miguel, who was basically tired of the shoot at the start. He was like, I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why we're doing this. I don't really want to be doing this, to be honest. It was just like you're saying, I felt like it was clear that problems were created that maybe didn't need to be created. And I don't know a single thing about mm-hmm. filmmaking. I know nothing. I know 0%. You got so, a much better idea, I bet, now after seeing all that, like basically seeing how it's like a, a moving circus. like a, It's like a con. It's like Basically, it's, it's like an it's event, like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, as, it's logistics of all, which is very interesting to so me. So much. Do you think that there's something there? Because like I said before, we don't really know what happened. I think it might be really unfair to paint things in a certain light like that, especially if it seems 100%. silly that they spent so much time on things that might not have mattered in the end. Which would be a really disappointing thing, but do you really think that there's something to the way that the documentary might have been angled? Probably not, but I love being unfair. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it probably means nothing, and it's probably like Hannah sit down and just enjoy this. I, I truly did. I thought that I was just weird watching it like that, but now I feel way more vindicated that you're asking me these questions first, and I'm not just being like, "Hey, you know, hmm." But there was but a there lot ha- of that. A lot of the, a lot of really self-aware juxtaposition of like fame and stuff, like the stuff they did with the the actor for the Night King, Vladimir Furtick, was so that, unbelievably my jam and hilarious. I had to pause. <laughs> I was laughing so hard when yeah. he's out there smoking a Dude. cigarette, and he's like, "Those Dude. guys don't know who I am." Dude. <laughs> I was crying, <laughs> laughing, and then he like keeps Dude. looking around, like, "Should I go? Should I go? Should I go?" And then he finally kind of slowly saunters his way over to the crowd. He's like, "Do you guys know who I am?" <laughs> <laughs> I was living. It was, I was awesome. So happy for that guy. It, this the sequence that they played right before that was Kit 
his car entering and barely being able to get through and him warning the camera. He was like, they're about to start all calling me Keat. They're all just going to start shouting mm-hmm. Keat at me. So I'm going <laughs> to tell you now. So no one laughs. And like the car gets through there. And then the next thing that they show is him like walking up to the gate himself, unassisted, unprotected by anyone. It was hmm. so unbelievably good. The lady at the uh, toasty cart making all the wee toasties for everyone. She knew the whole plot. It's just like, the the extra Andy, he knew the plot. Everyone was just like trading inside secrets. God, can you imagine being David and Dan and some of the, the producers walking around and just seeing these hundreds of people that are also, you know, getting benefit off of the same thing that you've been a part of since the very beginning? I mean, we've seen these kinds of things play out in real life, but this is a it's a concentrated like mess of humanity mixed in with this artistic expression that has like a um, almost real world consequence, at least some kind of a weird judgmental real world consequence consequence because it's not an original story like we can't be hot and cold on it like we were Mad Men because we're not in Anthony Weiner's head but Mm -hmm. George R. R. Martin wrote this it has a a big following of smart people and not so smart people on the internet and it has not been finished yet so it's like how do you contend with all of this it's an impossible task earth planet earth thanks for making this conundrum for us all to work out together and for also for that documentary to give so much insight on so much of the weird shit that was going on. It's impossible. It's an impossible task. So I'm getting too deep into it, but, um, you should totally get deep into it. Yeah, I should. You should totally get deep into it. (laughs) Especially if they're going to do more of that. It just was funny. It was just, well, so when I think about my favorite parts of season eight, I'm thinking about episode two and even parts of, episode four like all the hanging all the hanging that happened at Winterfell that's what I care so much about and to me those are like the fundamental things that make the show and so I appreciate everything else but if the whole season had just been them sitting at Winterfell Mm -hmm. talking about stuff I would have been thrilled but that's not how things work so (laughs) Um, if you're mad about the pacing of this last of these final two last the final two seasons don't watch the documentary because they will remind you with the hardships of the scale of everything about how many how sorry let me change that how few of episodes they had to cram all of this into they did that for to themselves. some reason they did that to themselves they for did some that to reason themselves and all of them are talking about how they have no time to get everything done it's like you did that to yourself I understand. Look, I get it. There's like deadlines that you have to hit and you can be on location for only so long and people can only work for so long and there's 10 million people that you're worried about and I get it. But also, it's Game of Thrones season eight. So do whatever you want and then that's it. <laughs> I don't know. That's It's the same thing we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so I feel so repetitive, but the documentary just really got me going. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I wonder how much pushback they're they're dealing with. If it's a miracle that they're able to get as much leeway as they were able to get, and if this is what they decided is the best way, like we're only going to get so many episodes because of some weird reasons that we don't know about, you know? So this is how it, it best had to come out. So that's a disclaimer. If, if there's a misunderstanding, 
at least between me and you, not, not you and I, but like this weird group of people that I don't know and that don't know me. <laughs> if there's a misunderstanding between us, then I'm sorry. But if you really did basically get a blank check, not really. I mean, I'm sure that there's actual hurdles to go through, but for the love of God, your Game of Thrones at this point, I remember at the beginning of this podcast and TV show, that would be a different conversation. Be like, well, yeah. we can't have so many, you know, scenes of Danny and the little baby dragons because it doesn't really matter because of how much. Okay, I get it. But now, okay, even season seven, after season seven, we had the extra weight. You didn't have to turn this around immediately in the following year. I know it's all acrobatics. I know it's all pretty impossible to do. But I think a lot of people are going to be left wondering after watching this documentary and seeing just how much space that there was to move around, even though it was really tight, but still seeing how much space there was to move around. We didn't have to make the only conflict with the white walkers end in one fight we didn't have to make it the craziest looking thing which still should have been that crazy looking and there should have been a couple other fights like that and then maybe it would have landed better for everyone i'm right there with you amen to all that i'm curious uh, and as always i want people to send in what their own thoughts are on this because are we just watching this because we're just annoying and we're reading into it and this is we're projecting our feelings onto it or or are these people complaining at work the whole time while they're at work <laughs> yeah but i would be concerned if nobody was complaining like if these people aren't running around exhausted i would be concerned <laughs> right it's like are you right. putting like they put their heart and soul yeah it seems like an insane this. amount of work just so much physical labor on top of all the potential toil just physical labor and just the stress, I mean, heart and soul goes into this. And so I'm. that means everything. And it was really cool to see everybody care so deeply. That, that was the best part. Lot. Oh, my gosh. You've seen so many featurettes of stuff you care about growing up. I know that's a weird thing that we can say. I remember when we were little, it was like, I hope they start adapting all this weird shit to TV and movies one day. Not even to TV. I didn't even think that was going to be a possibility. But like, hey, can, can we adapt some of this stuff to movies? And now this. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like in this documentary, we see a guy who's building a weirwood tree and who doesn't know what it is. He calls he it the Godswood tree. But he kind of does know though. <laughs> he knows way more than any other guy working on a tree in any other movie knows about. You know what I'm saying? He's like talking about made up lineages and he's talking about like who he thinks should win the throne. That is so crazy. These are people that are working in in, in, in manual labor positions and they're living in Ireland. This, they're not exactly the pop culture saturated country like the United States of America are. And a lot of these are older people that have no business being so into all these frivolous pursuits of stories like we do. He calls it the God's tree. You're right. But <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just, I love that part of it. I love seeing I how too. many people were into it. Like uh, when the, uh, the famous extra Andy was like giving the dude shit for wearing the Bolton jacket. I was like, you that found our people. Awesome. You yeah. That guy them. can hang. Completely. He can hang. And like you said, that moment he had with Kit when he was wearing his jacket, that just, it was, my little heart couldn't handle it. It was just so amazing. And I just can only imagine. I mean, we all have had experiences where we've been part of something very intense and we've like poured our heart and souls into it. And just the release of finishing that up and like Kit's speech when he shot his final scene, when he's like, I feel like my heart is breaking. 
my heart was breaking. I mean, it's just, I was grateful to see those little moments. And I was like, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, I just want to see all the raw footage that that was cut to make this documentary. I would watch like 100 hours of just some random guy wandering through <laughs> just like the set. I just think that that would be so interesting. But yeah, that was a was really just, special place. They were making a lot of really special stuff. Yeah. And it, mean, was, it was cool. One TV us. show, but really special. Yeah. It was cool for us to get an insight into it and to feel some of those vibes i thought that the director i think it was genie finlay i can't remember anybody's names gene finlay genie finlay sorry if i'm not uh saying your name right i thought she did a really great job of uh picking the things out and i was curious about some of the decisions about who they followed because like you said i've really i appreciated the vignettes but there's definitely some more interesting stuff that I would have liked to have seen that would have given me more answers. But this was also at the same time, one of the more cool looks behind the curtain of the thing that I really like watching. Mm -hmm. Usually that doesn't happen. I think that Peter Jackson did a really good job. God, I'm all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give a little shout out to Peter (laughs) Jackson. (laughs) Barely half pronouncing words. Uh, I think that Peter Jackson did a really good job of, uh, spearheading this effort on the Hobbit trilogy when he was making those uh, three follow-up films to Lord of the Rings when they were doing The Hobbit. He uh, had this camera crew, like basically a a side-side-side camera crew follow the production around and they would release these basically just documentaries starting at like Mm -hmm. 10 minutes long and some of them got longer and it would document the, the course of the production and this was happening before the movie came out. So you kind of felt like you're following this weird like video podcast along with the so cool. the the movie. And by the time it's coming out, like you're seeing these people on YouTube videos and then they're at like a red carpet and they're like, Yeah, mm-hmm. we're so excited to do this. And that was a a really cool way to experience seeing it all come together. And uh I got a lot of out of that. Uh I got a lot out of watching this one, I'm so glad that it was two hours long. We were supposed to test some uh, technology stuff last night for this new podcast that Hannah and I are doing. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is going to be over because they're only going to do the Winterfell stuff at the very beginning. Surely they didn't have a camera crew following around for some of the more spoiler filled stuff at the end. But uh, they showed the director, David Nutter, setting up the funeral scene and it basically transitioned to another hour uh, behind uh, the scenes stuff. Sophie Turner was cool. crying between takes <laughs> was just everything to me. This is what a fan sounds like, by the way, guys. She's like, remember <laughs> the actress who played Sansa when she was crying because it was sad because <laughs> this long, really long project that she's working on is over. I love that she's a human. <laughs> I do. So sue me. <laughs> It was nice. It's nice to see how much everyone cares about working on it. And like I said, it was cool to see how much everyone that works on it seems to just really be into Game of Thrones at varying levels for different reasons. Everyone's a different kind of fan, and I appreciate all of them. And it's really cool because there's so many different kind of, like, let's say just for GOT because it's so popular, there can be so many, so many, uh, so many different kinds of fan 
fans for that one thing. So, so many different ways that all of these different kinds of people can interact with it. And that's so unique because a lot of those people wouldn't have, have no way to communicate really before. No way with the internet, maybe, but with the internet and this crazy story that has transcended the way that it has right on. Yeah. As you can see from watching this is all different kinds of people working on it. And that kind of is like a mirror for us all watching it together. Yeah. And I think that it mirrors, I mean, I put in 0.3% effort into game of Thrones as all these other people have, but I think that in like a, in some way, like we think about, the friendships we've forged and like the time mm-hmm. we put in and the conversations we've had and the places we've gone, just how much of your heart you've put into it. And so it's cool to see that back reflected back to you, which we already knew. We already knew that was the case, but. And I think they did a really good job in general this season of providing us with those basically many documentaries for how they p- produced each of the episodes of the season. Another one of those things that they didn't have to do, but. Are you talking about behind the episode? Not the behind the episode. Inside the episode. Like the little documentary things about yeah, little, how like, they made yeah, the yeah. episode. And I really like the one that they did for the long night too. And like I said about the YouTube stuff that I used to follow that Peter Jackson's making, that was like so cutting edge and pretty DIY, but these were done with budgets and they were scored sort of semi-effectively and I don't know. They just like had a congruent vibe and they didn't have to do that. They gave me more to watch. I, I liked that a lot. That was cool. I do too. Yeah. They didn't have to do any of that. So we'll eat it up, whatever it is. Sure. Um, <laughs> God, that decision to make Vladimir Furtick though, the night King. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> He's like, I don't know whether to stand with the stuntmen or the actors. or <laughs> I love it. When he raises his hand when he's in front Dude. of all the fans. I, I, I was more like moved by that moment than I think most of the season. I was like, <gasps> yeah, like what's going to happen? Man, I feel real feels when I watch Game of Thrones. I think it's just because I make myself. But either way, I hope everyone else does, too. Because it's, a real thing. it's just a TV show, for God's sakes. Stop. <laughs> Don't make fun of us on our own podcast. It's like, we get it. <laughs> I didn't check my heart rate this season, but it would have been up for sure. The season was really fun. It was like a legit roller coaster ride. So we've been talking about, we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> what our favorite moments of this whole season was. And before we were recording, we were kind of talking about like, what should we what do we remember like how much do i need to be remembering of these little moments or whatever and then we were like no let's just go with our gut like when you think back to season eight what are those moments that really hit you hard with your heart rate or in the feels you know without giving it too much thought like what's your highlights of season your highlights who am i what's your own of season eight my own of season eight (laughs) okay no but i'm just trying to what like what are the moments that really stand out to you as a whole is it bad that my first thought of the lowlights no i think whatever like whatever your gut reaction is i like that a lot of stuff happened i just was kind of bothered by how some of the stuff happened okay i'm gonna say the moments within 
sequences or within scenes, moments like the dragons bursting out of the clouds, moments like Danny and Drogon fighting Euron's men in the bay and then flying toward King's Landing and taking out the crossbows, moments inside of a Night of the Seven Kingdoms where the goofiness, where you realize that it was the point and that this is how they were expressing themselves, like not with camp, but with legitimate happiness and camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Moments in the long night when they were charging the undead at the, at the very beginning with their yeah. flaming arcs. And also when Melisandre just inexplicably came and did that, I was like, okay, well, this looks pretty promising. And when they eventually disappeared, the sequence where uh, I guess really all of the beginning of the Iron Throne leading up till uh, Drogon's departure, uh, a lot of the bells, just as as far as uh, a, a technical achievement and wondering about how exactly violent and chaotic the set had to be to pull off so much of that practical effect inside of the, the battle. Mm-hmm. The score. Always. Also, just the hype, <laughs> all the anticipation. <laughs> that was pretty what about awesome. The memes. Too. Oh my gosh, the memes. <laughs> the memes were good. Oh God, the Brand Stark memes. The ghost, Nothing everything. will be funnier. I think the memes were a highlight of the season for sure. I think that what you're saying is kind of what I was feeling. Like you pointed out moments that I felt the same about, like the beginning of the battle at Winterfell. When they're all rushing in, that really stands out to me. But I think something that I haven't, that I didn't really give up hope on is that I really thought the first half of the season was pretty good. And I loved episode two. And so I think there was a lot of promise in the first half of the season. I just think that like they did Daenerys dirty, you know. So if I were to ask you about your high points, you would say most of them happened within the first three episodes or were they pretty evenly spread out? No, most of them happened within the first, within a night of the seven kingdoms, <laughs> if we're being real. But I mean, I like think about things that I that really hit home for me. And I think those first few episodes and just the... We really had an opportunity to say goodbye to all of our faves in a way that I don't know that I was necessarily expecting. And so that was, to me, such a gift to be given before things really started to devolve. Like, I think about John finding out who he is. That was a really powerful moment. Or I think about Theon, period. Any moment with Theon this whole season. Yeah. When he shows up asking Sansa to fight for Winterfell, everything Bran said to him about... Everything you did brought you to where you are now, home. Or when he told him he's a good man. Yeah. Theon's arc was just like tight, buttoned up, so powerful for me. And so all of that stuff happened at the beginning of the beginning of the season when we still had promise and hopes and dreams that mm-hmm. things like R plus L equals J would matter and stuff like that. <laughs> but I don't know, we were just kind of like being presented more. And people were resisting how they were being presented by. And it was like, if that's going to be the point, if the point is going to be presenting it to us, do it in a way that we're not accosted by. Right. That doesn't make us feel like this is clearly a theme park ride. I think that's a really good way to say it, that we're being presented with it. Because I think the biggest misstep 
as we've been talking about, is just the inability to show the stuff that matters to us and the conversations that matter to us and like anything that carried the storyline. There was just no there was just no storyline. It was just beat to beat. It was Daenerys shows up in Winterfell and then all of a sudden she's gone insane apparently <laughs> and now she's being killed and you know I talked all season about how I mean I always I I think that that's an interesting thing that I'm looking forward to exploring but I mean when you think about the way that it was put on the show I mean I, everyone's pissed for a reason and and so I just feel like and that's what I was trying to get to with the whole documentary thing it's like just sacrificing so much of those moments that we got in Night of the Seven Kingdoms that I wish we had later on with like John and Danny or so many other characters in the second, like Cersei in the second half of the season. And we just, we didn't get it. Yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but I saw someone had counted the amount of speaking time that Lena Headey had in the final season of Game of Thrones. Which she survived to the penultimate episode. Jeez. Just seems like, I don't know. Just when you, when you look at the fact itself, some people would be bothered by that. I'm myself not as bothered by that. If that was their creative decision and, and that was the way that Cersei was supposed to be painted across the final season on paper, fine. But when you watch it and you realize, well, it's just, that's just how it was. That's not necessarily how it had to be. Well, then I think that that could speak to a larger potential of the way things could have been. And that seems like an obvious thing to most people. But when I'm entering the conversation with you, I try to not, you know, I know that I can't change anything that has happened. So it's just like, how do we approach this now that it's been this way? Yeah, I get that. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it, but we can complain about it if we want to for a minute. Mm. (laughs) But think about like, we didn't get anything from Cersei at all, except for weird stuff with Euron. But think about... um. After the Battle of Winterfell, those moments that we saw with Daenerys in Winterfell and we saw her see what was going on, that was really cool and really special. And how neat would it have been to spend a few minutes with Cersei? Real, and and we, we got that a little bit as before the bells are rung and with her and Kyburn. We got that a little bit, but... Some of those moments that were really powerful is like Daenerys realizing what she's in. That was probably one of the most self-aware kind of understanding the mechanics of what she's thinking in this season that we got. And from her, and it's it's a shame that like somebody like Cersei, who's the big bad at the end, I would have loved to see some of that from her and, and... well, yeah, Some of that. if there's more episodes and we don't have to make every single moment count, like it's it's a, an amazing line that may be later quoted in some similar fashion by George R. R. Martin that we're going to like think about for for years and years. Like, oh, this epic poetry that's being spoken between these two characters. How about, like you said, just some Cersei moving around the Red Keep while the, the devastation is happening? Like, what about that other part of Game of Thrones where you showed us this really cool cinematic stuff? Like Jon Snow is in a a tracking shot running through the Battle of the Bastards. Like, that's pretty cool. Remember yeah, that or stuff? like right before the... Like right before Tommen commits suicide, the when the cam- the way the camera moves around and we see these glimpses of everybody, there was a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, I see where you're getting at. You're saying where was a lot of the 
intimacy the intimacy in those later in those later moments in the season particularly like to really play around with what we're like to say goodbye but to not say goodbye so abruptly but to like really get to squeeze out the song that was left to be sung and you you probably don't feel like it got the stage time that it deserved yeah or like think about john killing danny the shot wasn't John and Daenerys. The shot was John and Daenerys in front of uh, Iron Throne that was burned, that was in a room that had been burned down. Yeah. That's the thing. They're also emblematic of what the grand idea would be. And I think that when I watch films, a lot of times they fall short because they lack a lot of the soul that's necessary to build a world where I could put things inside of it and that everyone would care so much that it was happening. But mm-hmm. that's not the problem with Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. It all, it all does mean so much. So it doesn't have to be those epic frames of the Iron Throne that you might see in a comic book panel. It can feel more intimate, and it can feel more real. And it has felt more real. So, so that's when I think about the parts that really struck me, it was those moments that really felt... Like they're like that moment with Sansa and Theon in the courtyard at Winterfell. They're not saying anything. They're just eating, mm-hmm. and they're just both not sure that they're going to survive. Yeah, it's so hard to nail that because what they're doing with GOT is mixing a lot of those elements, a lot of those large cinematic moments, like when Danny's on the rocks early, and I think it was maybe season four, maybe season three. I think it was season three, and Drogon and Rhaegal and Syrian are like, "Here I am, here I am." Rah! Don't mm-hmm. snap at me because I'm eating a goat right now. It was like, that was beautiful, but also for no reason. But wasn't that just a nice little watercolor of a moment inside of Game of Thrones? Yeah. I, I think it's all due to time. And I think it. I think that there's temptation to... Everything can... When you're, when you're watching the documentary, for example, the last shot that Amelia Clark had on the set was one of the exterior moments where... John and her were talking about the dragons and about mm-hmm. what they were going to do with everything. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we handle our kingdom? Think about John and Daenerys' kiss. It was like, okay, they're going to kiss before John learns about the parentage. Before he learns that he's a true Targaryen, they're going to kiss. It's going to show everyone that they're in love and they're going to kiss. So we can make it the best kiss of all time, right? And we can frame it perfectly and put it on this majestic hill and have her outfit be the most amazing thing ever and have the background also be the most amazing thing ever after the most amazing magic carpet ride ever. (laughs) Right. I think that the temptation is there and the execution is possible. Because look at all these amazingly talented people working on it. But maybe once you get to that one moment and it's all been set up to happen, that it's really hard to make it feel and seem and look that real. Right. Right. It's also great. I get it. So we're still in the great search, everyone. And I know that I'm being a hater. I tried really hard not to be a hater all season long. I really enjoyed it, not being a hater. But maybe I'm a hater today. I don't know. That's I struggle. Okay. I still had a really good time with it. And I didn't hate the season. Awesome. Yeah, that's I didn't hate the season. I mean, I didn't like season 7 at all. And I liked season 8 more than I liked season 7. So, do you want to give your own for the final season of Game of Thrones? 
I feel like I need everybody to drum roll. <laughs> I thought about doing it. It's I thought a big it might moment. be annoying people's ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so ready. My own. Season eight, my favorite thing of all of season eight is when Brienne was knighted and became Sir Brienne of Tarth. Whoa. Hands down, when I think about moments of the season that really just made me feel some type of way, to me that was above and beyond. I loved that so much. So my own to Jamie knighting Brienne. And just that whole room and just the whole vibe. Then with Jenny's song, I mean, it's just Brienne being knighted. It's perfect. What about you? Hmm. I'm trying to think like uh, that was a good, you made me think about uh, really what I wanted to feel out of it. Like a moment when I was watching and really felt moved by something. I know I didn't feel good at all when I saw Ghost with his head hung so low. I felt noticeably bad. I was like, I don't like the way this is making me feel. Yeah, that was really sad. When Jamie and Cersei died, I thought that that was pretty a pretty moving exchange between the two. Mm-hmm. I'm giving my own of the season to Brand the Broken for why do you think I've come all this way? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And also just a just a a small percentage of that is dedicated to the sequence of the Stark children. I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough one when they were sheathing their weapons and putting on their new weapons and moving forward and just being defined and redefined again at the end, the sequence there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was really good. That was crazy. That was really cool. That's really good. But I I also feel like it it sort of encapsulated the same sort of, (gasps) feeling which is what i was looking for which i'm kind of hoping for in the first place with all this stuff everyone and i definitely got it from when bran said that as well but it just seems more fun to give it to bran that was no that's a good own because honestly that was that was a took my breath away moment Mm -hmm. for many different reasons (laughs) but it's a good own you're like how am i supposed to talk about this episode right now (laughs) Season eight. We hardly knew the April fourteenth to May nineteenth, two thousand This episode is brought to you by Comixology. You know we love Game of Thrones, and now we've experienced it in a new way with Comixology. Comixology is Amazon's digital comic service that you can access via the web or with an app on your smart devices. Here's how it works. Buy from their selection of over 100,000 comics, graphic novels, and manga, or join their Comixology Unlimited reading service. Then read as much as you want from over 20,000 titles, including Game of Thrones. They seriously have every genre imaginable, sci-fi and superheroes, crime noir, horror, and more. We also love their cinematic reading mode called Guided View, which zooms into the panels for you. So that means no more pinching your screen to resize the image. Another thing we really love is they have their exclusive Comixology originals, which are like prime originals with brand new books available as part of your subscription. I think that you'll get a lot of value out of an unlimited reading service, and we think you're going to love Comixology, right? Right now, you can try Comixology Unlimited for free for 30 days by going to comixology.com slash owns to get started. That's C-O-M-I-X 
O-L-O-G-Y.com. So that's Comixology, but spelled with an X, not with the I-C-S. Dot com forward slash O-W-N-S. Comixology.com slash owns. And now we begin the final owns for the final season of Game of Thrones. My favorite part. It's over. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No time for that. (laughs) First, we start with Instagram. From Instagram, we have Clary XX, who says, Own to Miguel Sapotnik for the beauty that is a long night. It is truly the most breathtaking work shown on TV. Hashtag fire and ice. Hashtag dragons and moonlight. Lauren Maselli, Own to Podrick's beautiful singing voice and own to you both. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Lizzie Cassandra, The Crew. Let the people think what they will about the writing this season. You can't deny how much this show won us over. In parentheses, owned us these past 10 years with their incredible hard work and time spent. Nindy Cotton Amen. drinks. Own to Rose Leslie for ruining Kit Harrington's ability to act like he's actually <laughs> into anyone else. <laughs> Didn't buy the John Danny relationship at all. Also to Ghost, all time bestest boy in the continuation of the Tormund John bromance, a relationship that I do buy. So much chemistry. Traces Jackson. Jackson, own to my girl Aria, who is now living her dream life as my other fave, Dora the Explorer. Come on, Vominos, everybody. Let's go west of Westeros. I don't know the tune. Hashtag swiper no swiping. (laughs) You know that one, though. (laughs) Hashtag west of Westeros Explorer. Hashtag does a girl have boots, the monkey sidekick. Hashtag, oh, wait, she got faces. So Laura, much dogs. Wow. Own to the amazing set and costume design team. I was truly impressed by their craftsmanship for the Last King's Landing set. Also, an own to Sandor because I just love him. <laughs> Raven Alight, my own goes to whoever figures out how to patch up the big hole in the wall for the current Night's Watch. Hashtag spells and spackle. Nymeria Lurks, owned episode two of season eight. What would you do and with whom would you hang on the night before you die? J Knighted B. Arya did things her way. Pod sang a ditty. Sansa remained queenly. Beautiful episode. Victor Panthel, owned to Jamie for knighting Brienne as part of foreplay. <laughs> Hashtag, what do you look like under that armor? Hashtag, one night stand with a K. Hashtag, harder than Valyrian steel. <sighs> Jerickson85, owned to Amelia Clark for acting through that pair patriarchal bullshit last season. Ah, rah, rah. My own goes to their season eight Instagram feed. Oh <laughs> hashtag a gram of ice of fire. Hashtag dem transitions though, which I put in here because we've been laughing about the season eight Instagram feed for weeks. So my. I'm glad somebody else picked up on that. KT Hanero owned to Maisie Williams for learning how to fight with her left hand and absolutely slaying all of her fight sequences. Arya fighting in the battle for Winterfell was the highlight of season eight. Hashtag a girl has been waiting since season six for that fight scene. Mm -hmm. Hashtag not today. Hashtag slay. Hashtag Night King Slayer. Sparky JK, my character own goes to Theon for being the only character who completed a full arc that was well fleshed out and well paced. But I'd also like to give owns to the full cast for pulling out all the stops in their acting this season. Everyone stepped up, especially Amelia, Keith, and Maisie. <laughs> which is so funny. Keat, Side on to Keith for taking care of Keat. himself properly. <laughs> Love you guys. You can't blame him. I mean, come on. It's funny. Angie the Strange, owned to Daenerys for being the first one who killed the Night King. Who knew he couldn't burn? Hashtag Danny all day. 
Danny Long night. <laughs> Millie Champillon owned to Sophie Turner since she totally got her tattoo. Hashtag the pack survives in reference to the finale. Chris Peters Photog owned to Sansa for having the best arc because she not only survived, but became queen in the North. R.I.P. Theon, Varys, Jamie. Hashtag Sansa for the win. Hashtag Sansa is queen of the North. Bernie623 owned to Drogon. He survived the Night King's Javelin, Kyber and Scorpions, and cleaned up the throne room to be wheelchair accessible. Hashtag a beast and a gentleman. Mike Wash, A21, my own goes to Dumber and Dumber, D&D, for simply not giving a fuck about the fans this <laughs> season. Ouch. Hashtag it's your world. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kay Blankford owned to Theon. He was a good man. Cheryl Tesh owned to Daenerys for saying fuck you to anger management, shaking up tenderhearted fans and going out in pure Shakespearean style. Cried like a bay. To Scoot de la Morte, owned to Brand for being a big mastermind villain of the story, winning the throne with no effort. Owned to Amelia and Kit for making the scene heartbreaking, even though by that point I felt like nothing mattered anymore. And I owned to D&D for making a mess of what could have been the most tragic ending. Hashtag, I thought season eight was a tragedy. It's a comedy. Pikake floor, my own goes to all the memes. Heck yeah. Amy Four owned a brand of Tarth in the moment Jamie Lannister knighted her. That scene had the biggest emotional impact on me this season, and I really felt like the show did a great job with this. Say what you will about how they ended Jamie's story arc, this moment was everything. Hashtag Sir Brienne of Tarth. Hashtag Jamie and Brienne 2K19. Hashtag The Nod from Pod. The Almighty Sound owned the incredible Stark sisters for both making their parents proud and forging their own paths. They lived, they survived, they thrived. Hashtag Arya on the horizon. Hashtag Sansa on the throne. Caitlin Carlson owned to Daenerys for still looking like a whole snack, even with a dagger in her chest and blood dripping True. down her cheek. Hashtag queen of the perfect skin. Hashtag maybe she's born with it. Hashtag Maybelline dragon queen. Ooh. Nine crime spike owned a brand playing them all just to raid Cersei's unburnt wardrobe at the very end. <laughs> hashtag Raven's oh new robes 2K19. Hashtag first and last own. Damn. <laughs> ERD7 owned Fire. to Lord Varys, who always said he was serving the higher calling of the realm and died a martyr for it, which I think helped galvanize Tyrion and John to do to at last follow suit and act in the realm's interest. Akzimprich own goes to GRM in the hopes that he'll write a better ending. And on to Facebook, we have Bev Holt, who says, My own goes to Arya for loving the Hound, and to the Hound for loving her. Sandy Kabul, my first own goes to Arya for her inner strength. Heart emoji. My other own goes to the costume designers. Five heart emojis. My favorite heart emoji. Yeah, it's got two hearts. So that's a total of 12 hearts in that one own. Nancy Gilman, my own goes to the new opening sequence this season. It was slash is so incredible. Finally, an opening sequence that matches the brilliance of the music. Prez Nicole Bosnos, own to Sansa for the MVP of character development. Sorry, I was just feeling self-conscious about how I read her name. Bosnos Nicole Bosnos owned to Sansa for the MVP of character development ownership of her abilities and inner strength and her undying love and fierce loyalty to Winterfell and the North owned to Amelia Clark for being an incredible Daenerys it's been a treat watching her grow as an actress and truly own the role owned to Jon for doing the right thing even though he knew he'd never feel okay about it glad he got to go North after all Jonathan Draws Perez, my first and last own goes to Bran for coming all this way. Hashtag feel the brand. Hashtag king of the iron puddle. 
Christopher Walker. My own goes to the podcast itself, which has ruined my ability to communicate with non-fans. I went to the farmer's market this morning and said summer 2K19 to the strawberry <laughs> vendor. He just blinked at me. Hashtag unsubscribe HBO. Hashtag back to the books and yard work. <laughs> we all unsubscribe from HBO collectively. <laughs> it's really funny. Nice. Christina Hill owned a Sam Will Tarly who proves that you can really have it all in Westeros. Hashtag lots of babies. Hashtag Maester of everything, hashtag Sam the Slayer, hashtag Trophy Wildling Wife. Jan B, my first ever, and I guess last, own, goes to Sansa Stark for the most satisfying and complete character arc of the entire series. Hashtag character glow up, hashtag the pack survives, hashtag strength out of adversity. Justin Patterson, Sir Jorah Mormont owned this season with the most appropriately fitting death and story arc. And also one of my favorite scenes of the entire series, which had my tears jerking uncontrollably when Drogon became a factor. Hashtag RIP Jorah. Sandy Beresford, my own ghost to Daenerys Stormborn of the House Targaryen, first of her name, the unburnt Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains, and the Mother of Dragons, getting fed up with bad advice and followed Lady Elena Tyrell, R.U a sheep hell no you're a dragon be a dragon hashtag be the dragon hashtag get shit done hashtag be the boss hashtag the queen hashtag danny will rise bianca nira my own goes to dan and dave for completely subverting expectations by scrapping character and story arcs built over the last eight years <laughs> thomas kellum owned to everyone who has gotten a hashtag character kills character 2k <laughs> Etc. Hashtag and own to Drogo, Drogo for knowing exactly what Danny's plans always were and being brave enough to say it. Hashtag tear down their stone houses. Hashtag you know the people of King's Landing and didn't vote for. Oh wait, that's not what Drogo said. Hashtag you know the people of King's Landing didn't vote for Cersei. Right? I almost read that in a quasi Drogo style. My bad. One more own to Sansa for being. The Queen in the North. Crystal Gaynor, my own to Tormund for making the season so funny. An additional own to Ghost for being such a good boy. Julie Garoff, owned to Stannis, whose grammar lessons to Davos really sunk in. Rochelle Williams, my own goes to George R. R. Martin for giving us another dream of spring. Carly Kabayama, owned to Arya for being herself after being underfoot, horse face, lumpy head, a girl, airy, weasel, nan, squab, wolf girl, salty, cat of the canals, blind Beth, mercy, and no one. Hashtag that's not me. Hashtag this is me. Hashtag West of Westeros. Hashtag Arya kills Night King 2K19. Hashtag still hyped on it. Hashtag somebody take all the Arya scenes and make it into a movie for me. <laughs> 2K19. Tiffany Watson, my own goes to Sam the Slayer. He went from a wall. He went to the wall, a lump of a boy, and now he's a grand maester for the king's small council. He knocked up Gilly with a non-incest baby, and he was the first voice for democracy in Westeros. Hashtag John Locke would be proud. Hashtag political scientists love Game of Thrones. Hashtag my philosophy degree isn't worthless. Hashtag Chris Genotosia. I, uh, I think I said his name was hashtag yeah, you, Chris. Yeah, you, <laughs> <did>. <laughs> you extremely did. Chris Genitosio, my own ghost to Jon Snow, gets sent to the wall and decides to peace out and roll with the free folk. Hashtag fuck this Westeros place. Hashtag outie like 2K19. <laughs> Margot Holton Greybill, Drogon owned the whole series because no one gets the Iron Throne. Christina Hill owned Arya before the Battle of Winterfell. I'm not spending my last two hours with you two miserable old shits. <laughs> Kelly Sweeney, Clegamble was everything I needed it to be. Don't know what the hound would be without the hate for his brother. Dot to dot, although I was hoping he would be a red priest. Me. Me. 
Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did too. Jen Wolf Belda, my own ghost to Sir Brianna fucking Tarth. I wept openly to the point of needing multiple Kleenex. Hashtag a knight of the seven kingdoms. Hashtag Brian the beauty. Hashtag next stop Lord Commander. Now on to Twitter. We have at Squeaky. <sighs> Squeaky Gee. I just, I can't read it. I have to make it bigger. Squeaky Gee. You stumped Hannah. Oh, yeah. 18. Dude, Squeaky oh, Gee. I can't got read it. Good. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> at Squeaky Gee says own to Roman Javity for some of the best music of the series own to the extra Andy McClay representing fans on the screen till the end own to Drogon for being all I've had enough peace out Metamimetics own to Brick the Nameless Breaker of Skulls Lannister Slayer who deprived Euron Greyjoy of his final boast and removed the last name from Arya's list Brick at Terry Brick. Heaton final own to Jakaris the Valyrian term destined to become part of our real-life lexicon. Honestly, Drogon stole the show. The animation was far superior to anything the Godzilla creators could even imagine. To Zaylus, my own goes to the Ds, chilling in a cabin like supervillains, hoping to keep a low profile until Star Wars. <laughs> that and the VFX team for Episode 5. That King's Landing scene looked great. <laughs> Fair. That's so funny. At Old Nana, the Riv 1, for the King's arrival callback in episode 1. Just, you know, now with effing dragons. This own goes to Roman Javity, the writers, animators, director, cast, and crew. I was happy then. Gods, I was happy then. Most everyone's mad yeah, my bad. here. <laughs> I was hoping you'd do it just like that. I messed Owned up. <laughs> for men, motherfucking Jawadi for old tunes, new tunes, remixes, and giving us every single feel we could feel. Hashtag all the feels 2K19. Eric Monroe, own to the Jenny of Oldstone song. Ashley Bates, at Love the Lashes, own to the children raised by Ned Stark, their individual journeys and their love for Ned. They each found honor and strength in their own stories. Christian Flosend, own to Arya Stark, the MVP of season eight and the best character art in the series, arc in the series. As Sansa said, you're the strongest person I know. Shane G, own to Theon Greyjoy for returning to his real family and getting the redemption arc I didn't know I needed. Dominic and Dad Show, own to the character moments that always made the show great. Hashtag Sir Brienne of Tarth. Hashtag You're a Good Man, Theon. Hashtag You Guard the Realms of Men. Hashtag Ask Me in 10 Years. Hashtag Get Hype. Travis Cole, my own for the season goes to Jamie and Brienne. Own to Jamie for knighting Brienne and a knight of the Seven Kingdoms, making her lifelong dream come true, which led to my own for Brienne for finishing Jamie's story in the Book of Brothers. Two touching moments. Hashtag Fuck Joffrey. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Steve Manui, own to every crew and cast member for providing the joy, anger, laughter, tears, and wonder that we got to experience one final time. And now our watch has ended. Christopher Marshburn, own to a girl named Arya Stark who grew up, avenged her family, survived all 73 episodes, brought the dawn, chose life, and left to go where no man had gone before, proving that the most complete character arc of the show belonged to no one. Cry Havoc, my own goes to the bittersweet of bittersweet endings. All the Starks get back together only to be separated again and likely forever. Jenny of Tarth, when all is said and done, my final season own has to go to Jamie and Brienne during the long night fighting back to back on the walls of Winterfell against the army of the dead with both halves of ice. 
We got an email sprinkled in here. Julian Hawk says, owned Jon Snow for knowing his duty is the death of love and having the strength to do what's right no matter what. A rattlesnake says, my epic own has to go to the collective cast and crew who worked incredibly hard to bring a timeless planet to life from the opening credit sequences to the final scene. Plus dragons. Thank you for all your hard work. Bravo. Hashtag long live GOT. At GlitchGirl83, owned a Sir Podrick Payne for earning the most serious come-up of the whole show. No one deserved it more. Hashtag Kingsguard in the streets. Hashtag Freak in the sheets. Hashtag Pod is Bay. Hashtag I'd hit that. Peg Sontag, own of the season, goes to Ramin Javadi for bringing us the music of the heavens and telling GRM's story better than anyone else. At P94 at home, owned to Ghost. He was with John until the end, even if there were some bumps along the way. Noah Horner, owned to Varys, who satirically burned the first draft of a sensical, coherent season eight script. So why <laughs> Simpinov could channel their inner Michael Bay. <laughs> That's Ooh. funny. Jared Kozal, owned to Arya Stark. For eight seasons, she water danced with death and her slaying of the Night King was the perfect culmination of that dark journey. Then she turned from that path, choosing life and the possibility of something better. My favorite arc of any character. Hashtag not today. Anders Drew, owned for the season, shared between Arya, Sansa, and Brienne for having the best developed character arcs and achieving true greatness. Hashtag women of Westeros. Hashtag maybe it isn't all cocks in the end. <laughs> At Azora High Five. Wait, at Azora High Five. Hilarious. Nice. Owned to Sansa for being the one character the writers were committed to the whole season. Shud at Shud78. To me, watching episode three at 4 a.m. and managing to suppress the scream when Arya killed the Night King so as not to wake the whole house. Just stab. Owned to Drogon. That's all. And the final own for season eight, everyone. From DK City 24, my own goes to Hoster Tully, his grandkids rule. (laughs) (laughs) Man. That's it, everyone. That's it. That is it, Hannah. If we didn't get to your own, we're sorry about that. We can't read every own in the podcast because that would take a very long time. But we do read them to ourselves. And we really appreciate it. I don't know. I'm feeling sad now. Like, I feel I have a lot of. I'm just feeling a lot right now. I want to say thanks to everyone who sent in your own of the season to us. That was really nice. And I know we didn't read any of them on the, on the podcast because that would have gotten weird over a certain amount of time. But we see you and thank you so much. That was much appreciated. It's seriously for real. Can I get real for a second at the end of our episode? Because this is the end of season eight. Like mm-hmm. this is finally the end of season eight. And the season has been such a blast and i know it's been a roller coaster but we've had a really good time and it's meant so much to me and to both of us that all of you have been listening and participating and hanging out with us and writing into us and kind of just being on this journey together and i'm just really grateful for it so really grateful thank you so much thank everyone. you hope you've it's had a really, really fun. fun time watching and enjoying reading whatever you've been doing with uh a Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. I know I have. It's the best. It's the best. This has been awesome. It's been a good celebration. But season eight might be over, but we still have a ton of A Song of Ice and Fire to talk about. And so I think our plan for the next little while, can I be this casual about it, is that we'll do a kind of a retrospective of the whole series because this is kind of a unique opportunity for us to talk about game of thrones as a whole so that'll be our next episode and then after that we're going to dive into the winds of winter sample chapters 
which is going to be so much fun. And so we just thought it'd be awesome to take a break from A Feast of Dragons and just look at the end game that we know so far in A Song of Ice and Fire. So it's we the got furthest a lot of west of Westeros stuff. we could get to. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. From George himself. I'm so excited. I'm so, so excited. So it's bittersweet to say goodbye to season eight, but I'm excited to kind of talk about real theories. I'm so again. excited. We are in in-game territory. It is now we are Ooh. in the blasted lands. We are we are we are west of Westeros. This is where we are. And there's no protection. And we might be able to take people's faces, but that's not gonna be that's not like an there's no more cheat codes. All right. There's there's no books. There's no story left. Nothing matters. So <laughs> you have to survive all off bets your are off. <laughs> and off the amount of fun you can have with everyone else, which is what we're trying to do. So thanks for hanging out, everyone. Yeah. And we're looking forward to continuing to get your owns and all that good stuff as we dive into the sample chapters. So get hyped. Don't still. touch that mouse. <laughs> Don't touch that dial. <laughs> <laughs>